Yes, yes, y'all. We back at it again. Let me tell you something, man. I was able to get a couple of days recharged out in the Caribbean islands, out in the Dominican Republic, Punta Cana. Shouts to everybody there, man. Shouts, let, let me tell you something. I, I had a little problem with the language barrier. Motherfuckers couldn't understand me. I really, they tried to push some pizza on me, but I was like, nah, I'm good, man. I mean, if I'm not eating, you know, like, listen, I'm spoiled with pizza. I'm not eating Dominican Republic pizza, man. The crazy thing is this, this guy next to me was like, this is the best pizza I ever had in my life. I'm like, where the hell, ha- where have you lived? Where have you lived? But anyway, listen, the beaches were dope. Um, just being able to be with the family and unwind was really a special moment. I always, I talk about this all the time. I always say late nights, early mornings. The hustle of, you know, being a freelancer is is, is tough. And you never, sometimes you, you hustle so hard and you're spinning. You never take a, a moment to yourself. So I'm really thankful. And there's a lot of people who hit me up too, man. Shout out to them. And they're like, yo, they were glad to see that I got a chance to uh, disconnect and, you know, and, and get a little bit of recharge, even if it was only for a couple of days. But shout out to the Dominican Republic. Definitely was dope. Uh, enjoyed the beaches, enjoyed the pool. Just honestly, you know, one of my highlights uh, of the trip, uh, besides seeing my son um, really enjoy that international life, was one moment I walked the beach and for like two, three miles almost and, and you know, had the headphones on and, just really felt um, at peace. You know, I think sometimes in, in, in life, and I say this all the time, people think like success is a Mercedes-Benz or a Range Rover or a Bugatti or or, or a big house, whatever it is. And, and, you know, don't get me wrong, those things are nice. But at the same time, there's a lot of people with money who ain't happy. And at the same time, there's a, what success is, you know, think about it, what success is to people is always different. You know, like what success to me may be, you know, different to what success to you is. So I always say, you know, find those moments, find those, find those times that you you feel that are peaceful, that you feel that give you success, that you feel that make you happy. Because what somebody else is doing may not necessarily make you happy. Find what makes you happy, Internet. And, and, and look, <laughs> it, it'll be a special, special moment. Let me tell you something, man. Okay, when I tell you this, and you know what time it is, open up your Twitter app, open up your Instagram app, at Premium Pete, at Premium Pete Show, and wherever you're listening from, check the fuck in, okay? Shout me out. Let me know what's going on. You know, I love seeing D.C. on the check-in, Buffalo, Shanghai, Melbourne. We had Houston's on the check-in, of course. New York City always holding it down, but, you know, look, international in the States, out of the States, so much love for the show. I appreciate it. You know, we're going to keep on coming with different guests from all walks of life. It's really like, you know, to me, it's like really stepping into a school, man. Stepping into a school. And, and, and if, if you listen, if you take heed, you might learn something from, you know, an entrepreneur, from one of your favorite hip-hop artists, producers, uh, from an actor, from an actress. Who knows? Who, who knows who it could be? From a mover, from a shaker, from a dot connector. But most importantly, from people that I fuck with and that I believe the stories should be told. And again, I say this all the time. Don't ever just look at a big name and think that's an episode you need to listen to. One thing I'm proud about with the Premium Petro is we've been able to develop an audience that'll be like, yo, whatever name is in there, I'm clicking. I'm listening. Thanks for putting me on. Thanks for these gems. Thanks for whatever. Internet, the catalog is deep. Go to the iTunes, go, subscribe, rate, leave a comment, tell a friend to tell a friend. 
pick an episode to send to someone. If you if I've ever done anything for you, then do something for me. Send an episode that you think somebody else would appreciate to them and put them on to the Premium Pete Show. Stop fucking around. Appreciate you. Now, let me tell you something. This week's episode, okay, is one of those episodes I'm talking about with the one and only Michael Astoria, entrepreneur. I mean, on so many levels. Start two startups, did two startups and sold them. Now has Ann Pizza, 30 locations. They're about to have 40 plus. Listen, okay? The guy is 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 a very smart individual. The guy is 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 I mean, honestly, very inspiring. And the guy is somebody that many people could listen and learn from. His story is impressive. His story is 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 special. And that's why I wanted him to come on the Premium Pete show and tell it. Okay? I mean let me not even say anything. There's nothing really else to say except internets. I fuck with you. Salutes and blessings to you. And whoever, you know, whoever's listening and wherever you're listening, I present to you the Michael Astoria episode of the Premium Pete Show. Let's get to it. Cheer. Come on, everybody get set. Let's go. It's the next episode. It's the Premium Pete Show. News, interviews, all of the info. Listen up. It's the Premium Pete Show. If you want to scoop in the low, down low. Listen to the show, cause Milk said so. Fuck what you heard, better act like you know. It's the Premium Pete Show. Internet, welcome back to another episode of the Premium Pete Show. Sitting here with a friend of mine, okay? Entrepreneur, um, pizza guru. Uh, I don't know, man. I mean, look, um, before we even get into who is here, a friend of mine named Mark Zablo uh, from Cogent introduced me to this guy. And... As soon as we sat down for a couple of minutes, I was like, we, we got to do an episode. Uh, the one and only Michael Astoria is here. Listen, Pizza Guru, have you ever been called that? Not Pizza Guru. I've been called Pizza Jesus okay. and more recently Pizza Prophet. I could see Pizza, pizza Jesus and, and anyone who looks uh, at uh, the photos when the uh, episode drops will see <laughs> why. Uh, pizza Jesus. But but the, found, the, the, the co-founder of... And pizza, and that uh, could be Amphrosign mm-hmm. or just A and D on mm-hmm. the social. You know, it's funny because me being such a pizza guy, like you know, growing up Italian, um, knowing and, and and experiencing pizza in to me the best place in the world, Brooklyn, New York City. Also knowing a lot about dough, and I worked in bakeries for many years. What what even made you think that you wanted to get into pizza? Yeah, it's kind of a it's kind of a crazy story because completely unexpected. Uh, I had spent you know most of my twenties in the service business, right? Built my first company at twenty two, got really lucky, had an opportunity to sell it, and started my second company, which was a creative services agency. I spent a lot of time in the brand side, and right when I turned thirty, I felt like it was time for me to kind of start a company that was more reflective of who I was on the inside. Um, and to build a business on the outside um, that was a reflection of that. And people often ask me, why do you call it Ann Pizza? Because it's kind of a goofy name. Sure, A-N-D or the, yeah. or the and how do you say that? The ampr- ampersand. ampersand. Yeah, ampersand. And many people don't get it right. Actually, it was the 27th letter of the alphabet at one time, mm. which mm. is really wild. And the idea was you know, creating a cultural movement around a core set of values. And the symbol that best reflected those values was the ampersand. Mm. And to us, it stands for 
uh, really uh, promoting unity, uh, inclusivity, and connectedness. This idea sort of in a, in a country, in a nation that's becoming increasingly more divided, wouldn't it be cool to build a brand that was all about bringing people together, right? breaking down barriers, being incredibly inclusive? Um, and so far, it's worked. It's worked pretty well. And the idea behind pizza was pizza's global. Everybody loves pizza. And you mm. can have a lot of fun with it as well because when you've chosen to eat a pizza, you've chosen not to eat a salad. Mm. And if we can make this sort of movement work, um, we can go far and wide with it. Yeah. You know, when, when, when we met, we spoke about, uh, where'd you grow up? Oh my goodness. So I grew up in a small country town. It's not even a town. It's actually called a hamlet. Mm. What's that mean? What's a hamlet? Yeah. So, uh, not many people know what a hamlet is. If you think about like, if, if there was a reporting structure, right, a hamlet reports into a village and a village reports into a town. Mm. That's how small it is. So under 500 people in Western New York, one flashing light, one bar, um, I went to the same building, the same school from kindergarten to 12th grade. Holy shit. And I took the same yellow bus from kindergarten to 12th grade. It was funny because how people would line up on the bus. You'd be your kindergartners in the first row, first sure, grade, sure. second grade. So you're finally the back of the bus when you're a senior. So you've seen, you've seen the same people and teachers for many, many years. Over and over and over. And until you finally had them as a teacher and then you didn't have them no more. That would be crazy. So what was the population out there? Population was under 500. And my public high school graduating class was, I think, roughly under 40 people. Mm. So it was as small sort of a country town as you can grow up in. Damn, that's, you got to be careful who you mess with or uh, if you, you get in trouble. You get, you get ratted out on if you mess with uh, the girl down the street versus the other girl. Uh, could be a tough situation. Well, it's only small. two girls, so you got you know, <laughs> you know, You know, most people who come from small towns like that, you know, sometimes you can get uh, stuck there. And mm-hmm. I don't want to say stuck because I'm sure some people are happy and proud to be from somewhere. But what what was your vision to even think to get at, get out of there and become something different, not become... Because what was everybody doing over there? What was like the normal job or over there? It was uh, a lot of farming. Mm-hmm. Um, there was a, a salt factory that was really close. And then there was uh, a lot of teachers. Mm. Right, so there wasn't a big industry. Um, it's actually sort of the poorest county in New York State. And not because people are choosing. It's just there's not a whole lot to do. There's not a big economy. Mm. Mm. So they didn't have anything uh, that, uh, you know, stuck out? There wasn't like a, a, a something fa- – what, what was something famous about, you know, where you grew up? Like it was There wasn't – yeah, not – There was no location or the big – like there was a skating rink that, that everybody went to or – no, the skating rink was about 30 miles away. Mm. Like, it was kind of that, it, it, funny, because the, the, my growing up, the movie theater that I was used to was actually a drive-in movie theater. Because mm. it would take classic. me, yeah, it was classic. It would take me about 45 minutes to drive to a regular theater. And the closest, the closest city was Olean, New York. Um, you may know Olean just through St. Bonaventure. Sure. There's a college there, people know. Now, you grew up with mom and dad? I did, yeah, I mm. did. My mom was a, a potter, mm-hmm. so she made pottery, and that's kind of how nice. I learned a little bit of business acumen. So she um, had a couple of kilns in the house and uh, she would make pottery. Then we'd go to these trade shows in Rochester or Buffalo, which each about an hour, an hour and 15 minute drive. And she would sell pottery mm-hmm. and I'd be out there selling it with her. And I remember I'd always go, you know, sort of under the kiosk and count all the money. Cause I thought it was such a cool thing to be able to sell a product, take money and like watch it all happen. Mm-hmm. And my dad was a teacher um, and he was educated, the first educated guy in his family, but that taught me a lot about education. But for me, getting out was more about where I grew up was 
my favorite place in the world until I turned 12. Mm. And when I turned 12, I started to see the world a little bit differently and didn't feel like I fit in. And of course, I had amazing friends and an amazing family who loved me, um, but I felt like there was an itch I needed to scratch and that was not right in this sort of hamlet that I grew up in. But why did you think you felt that way? It's hard. It's not really a feeling. It's just you just see things differently, right? I wanted to see the world. I wanted to go do things. I wanted to go build things. And I guess in a more traditional sense, sort of be somebody. Right? It's mm. a sort of internal calling. Sure. And uh, I had to go chase that down. But at that time, too, you know, a lot of people were very judgmental, mm-hmm. meaning like our parents. And if you say like, hey, I want to go create something, they're like, go get a fucking job. Stop playing around. You know, now it seems like, you know, entrepreneurship is more accepted. You know, people... People are seeing that they could do things, that they can create things. Back then, it was a little tough. When when did you finally get a chance to move out and, and do something? So for me, the way out was college. Mm. And to me, the way out was a college scholarship. And so mm. I played every sport that I could. Actually, my favorite sport was football, but the... Um, the school, right, not high school, the school that I went to couldn't field a football team because we didn't have enough people. So I played soccer, I played basketball, I could play tennis, and I actually got a tennis scholarship to Mm. go to college and play. And I packed my bags and went um, all the way across, all the way across the country to Santa Barbara, California. That was my first way out of this small country town. Mm. And what was that like when you went there? It was wild. I mean, gosh, I mean, you're in Santa Barbara, there's beautiful women, there's beautiful beaches. I mean, it looks nothing like Western New York. And uh, I had, you know, the most amazing four years of my life, but I chose at 22. um, I was like, look, like my whole goal was to go build something, go do something, go be somebody. It was very hard to do in Santa Barbara, California, because I found myself, you know, working a job at Enterprise Rent-A-Car. And while, you know, that was a good job and that was a good company, that wasn't what I went to California for. Sure. So I knew I needed to pack my bags and go somewhere that I was going to be motivated and surrounded by people that were a little bit more like-minded to figure out how I was going to get my kickstart because I didn't have a network. Sure. Right? I didn't have people that were building things around me or doing things. Um, I had amazing friends, but uh, I needed to go to New York City. You know, you say something right there that um, I think most people think of, but not many people know how to do, and including myself at times. And what I mean by that is you said that that was, you know, you you didn't come there to do that. You came there with a bigger purpose. People say things harder to do, you know, um, what, I don't know if you could find the drive or, or, or to explain like what made you stick to your guns, so to speak, and not just get, cause we could get comfortable. Like, you know what, I'm going to get out of here um, in October and then, you know, you may be there another year or two. Shit happens like that to a lot of people. What made you like stick to your guns and say, I'm going to continue to follow my dreams and, you know, and, and, and take these leaps? Yeah, I think it's, you know, it's funny because for me, entrepreneurship has never really been about a mindset or a mentality as much it's about listening to, right, that voice inside of you. And to me, there was always a bigger risk in life in not listening to what was inside of me and not chasing my dreams and actually doing so. So my brain was conditioned to sort of listen to itself because I was more concerned of the fear of not putting myself out there than the opposite of that. Um, 
which I don't know if a lot of people have. That's just what worked for me. And that was a really cool thing. And I often tell entrepreneurs, I'm like, look, the entrepreneurship is really hard. I mean, you know that you've been on sure. the journey. Nothing's linear, right? What you set out to do, you may do some version of that or some fraction of that, but you rarely actually get to do what you ultimately set out to do. And so in doing so, you have to be okay with everything being chaotic, right? Every day that you wake up, it constantly changing. Um, And the scoreboard and the goalpost constantly moving. And so the way that I was able to deal with that, it was, again, it was, that's life. And I'm doing this and I'm more comfortable doing this than not doing that. So the absence of it was a greater loss than whether or not whatever I did was going to succeed or fail. Mm. So you're in Santa Barbara, California. Mm-hmm. Um, you're in college. Did you finish? The... I did. Yeah. Okay. You finished today, as you sit here. Is college needed for younger people these days? I don't think so. Mm. I don't Why? think so. For for me, I don't think that there was a ton of value in the traditional sense because I didn't learn the way that some people learn. Like for me, I learned by doing. When I'm sitting in a classroom and someone is telling me something, right, read this or do this or this is why philosophically this makes sense, that sounds good, but how do I apply that to my life and how is that going to change, right, my trajectory and where I'm going or what I want to do? And so my lessons, the greatest lessons learned were actually on the job, right, doing things with my hands, learning in real time and then figuring it out from there. I think if that is your mindset, and that isn't, that's not everybody's, that is your mindset, that is your mentality. If you're better doing, right, than reading, um, then I'm not sure college is the best step for you. I think the biggest mistake that people make isn't this notion of college or no college, it's this idea of jumping right into college. Sure. Right, so when you're 18 years old, go take on a bunch of debt and go down this path where you may have no idea if that's right for you. For a lot of people, colleges and universities is a really good thing for them. But I think this notion of like, take your time, maybe go get a job, work a year or two. And if you feel like pursuing higher education is going to get you the things that you want and go incurring that debt is worthwhile, then go do it. But if you don't, after you've worked a little bit and you think that there's a different path for you, then that may be a better path. I think like uh, the idea of a major, uh, I think scares people. But more importantly, I think it uh, it's 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 something that people don't stick to. So what I mean by that is most people go to college and they take up a certain major, and then when they come out, they're doing something totally different. Um, it's at a young age, I feel like you have to make a decision about your life, and you're still fucking trying to figure this shit out. I do think and I hope that colleges, uh, even high schools, will uh, start to evolve and have entrepreneurial classes, you know, and, and, you know, they're starting to do some stuff with like hip hop and religion. Uh, I know Ninth Wonder teaches classes, Bun B teaches classes, um, as professor at Rice and, and, and et cetera. There's a couple other people. I think Young Guru has done some music stuff and, you know, explaining. But I mean, it's got to be fun, too. You know, it's like, think about it, right? You know, if we don't ever use calculus, right? If you don't ever use any of that type, you know, do, do we need it anymore? And why isn't there, and I always say this, and I don't want to go into a full fucking rant because, you know, even like home ownership, like, you know, like, like, how the fuck do you know what to do? How do you know, like, you know, I remember my lady telling me later on and like, she was telling me like, oh, you know, you could get a, a I think it was like a FHA loan 
We only have to put three and a half percent. All my life, I always thought you had to put down like fucking 10, 20, 30 percent. Mm-hmm. Um, most people don't buy homes because they can't afford the, 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 um, well, they don't have maybe sometimes the, the best credit, but also they can't afford the, the down payment. But who knew? I guess what I'm saying is like, you know, your network sometimes is your own college. And what I see is from sitting down with tons of people over the years is that the college for them was a network building opportunity time. You, you never know who you can meet there that you could do things with, you know? Did you, did you meet anybody that, that you yeah, still I, talk to? I, a lot of great friends, but from, you know, a sort of business networking standpoint, you know, wasn't great for me. Mm. But New York absolutely was. And I think to your point, I think one of the most undertaught um, components of all education is financial literacy, mm, right? Sure. Understanding credit, to your point, understanding how to get a mortgage or how to get a loan or what debt even means or sure. even balancing a checkbook sure. in the old school sense. We're just not taught those things. Or how and to raise money. How to raise money. Startups. Something very. that you're something that you're very good at, you know? You, you know, um, you, you graduate college. Congratulations. Thank you. Where the fuck do you go after that? You, you, so for me, you go to New York. Mm-hmm. And the funny thing is when I got to New York, my college degree did absolutely nothing because it wasn't that specialized, sort of a generalized business degree. And so you really have one option, which is you go into sales, mm-hmm. right? Because if you can't sell, mm-hmm. then you're not going to be able to earn. Sure. Because your degree isn't worthwhile. Now, if you had a specific skill set, and then you could get your foot in the door with the company because of that skill set that was on your resume. That's very different. But for me, it was a little bit more general without a network. It was sales. And so um, I, had, I had cash advanced my credit card, which gave me about $1,500. And I knew one girl in New York City. And I moved in and I had about five days to find a job and find an apartment. And I had five interviews lined up, all sales jobs. I interviewed all five of those jobs, got three job offers, picked the one I felt like I could make the most money doing. Because when you don't have a lot of money, you're not starting off. Sure. The idea of chasing money is everything, right? You learn over time once you start to make a little bit of money. The idea of chasing money is actually the worst way to go into business from my perspective, not everyone else's. Sure. Uh, and uh, got a job, uh, was in a boiler room basically making 350 cold calls a day. Um, did that for six weeks and then started my first company because I knew that my path was not going to be through sales mm-hmm. and certainly not going to be through selling what I was selling. What was your first company called? It was called uh, Marcus Evans. Mm. And um, the idea was basically executive summits. I don't know if you know what that means, but like imagine you're trying to sell this Fortune 500 uh, CEO basically a trip right on a cruise ship where they're going to be put in front of all of these other sort of global 2000 businesses that are interested in buying that person's products or services. And then the reality is the meetings really aren't set up or structured for that. It's just a great way to get a check and, and make a payday. Mm-hmm. So it's a bizarre business. It's very nuanced. And, uh, but I learned pretty quickly. I mean, it was every single dial. It's put up on the wall. If you're not making minimum 250 cold calls a day, you don't have a job. Mm. And uh, so you're dialing for dollars, and it was soulless. Did you um, sell that company? So that was not my company. That was the first sales the first sales company, first sales job I took. Okay, so a sales job. Yeah, that was the first sales job. So after that sales job? After that sales job, I was actually working at the sales job, and there was this one kid that was the top salesman in the company, and... Uh, 
I kept going to him and being like, hey, man, like, would you help me out? And his name was Ian Gray. Mm. Um, and finally, I think after the third time, I was like, can I just buy you a beer and let's just chat it up because I need to figure out how I'm going to sell because that was, you know, next month's rent. And uh, we started uh, chatting, took him to a bar. We had a couple of drinks and the conversation went good. He's like, hey, I have this idea. I want to be in a, I want to create a media company. And I was like, that sounds really good. I want to create any company. <laughs> and, uh, and then he's like, look, I got to go to uh, Queens. You want to hop in? We'll go to a local bar, you know, where, where my apartment is. And on the way, there was a, a business card that was wedged into the backseat of the taxi cab where they have the New York City, the New York City map. Sure. Right? From back in the day. Mm-hmm. And... I kind of look at that and I look at him and I look at that. I'm like, well, that's our, that's our company right there. We're going to put advertisements in the backseat of these taxi cabs. And that's going to be the big idea that starts this media company. And so literally the next day we started this company and the whole premise was we're going to disrupt out of home media and the advertising space by selling the first ever ads inside of taxi cabs. Mm. And the funny thing was little did we know Clear Channel was working on a product for taxi TVs, and that was kind of becoming a thing. So we were pitching the New York City Taxi and Limousine Commission this bright idea, and they liked it. And then all of a sudden, the big companies came in, paid them a bunch of dollars to get an actual TV in the backseat of a taxi cab. Uh, but the irony in that is we actually won four diff- contracts in four different cities, uh, and we were literally selling print ads inside of taxi cabs uh, in various different cities. And that's what launched the business. We had to move into digital media because I realized pretty early on that it was like a 12-month sales cycle and it was a really tough sale. And a lot of companies, this is 2002, 2003, uh, weren't really interested in taking risk on a new sort of static ad. Uh, So we pivoted digital media and hit it at the right time, at the right place, and it worked. Mm. And what happened with that company? So that company I ended up um, building. It was crazy because it went from you know, call it $0 in 2002 to about $25 million in top line revenue in 2006 mm. and uh, about $6.5 million in EBITDA, which is profit. I ended up selling it that year to a private equity firm, uh, which was really cool because I got a phone call about two years into this company after we had pivoted to digital media. And it was from an investment banker who was like, hey, there's some interest in your business. We're hearing about it would you ever consider selling it? And I was like, I don't even know what that means. <laughs> right? Like, uh, yeah, sure. maybe, right? And so um, through that process, got a chance to be introduced to a lot of different companies that were interested in investing or either acquiring the company. And so uh, in running a process, decided it made sense to sell it and did so in 2006, which was a crazy day for me because, you know, it kind of went from nothing to selling your business and being 26 years old in New York City with, like, what just happened? You know, I ask a lot of people this. I've sat down with a lot of different entrepreneurs. Um, That was a proud moment. Uh, Big money, I'm sure. Bigger money than you ever had. How did you celebrate that? I went out. Hmm. Yeah, I did, I think. Did you take the moment to embrace it, you know? You know, it was funny because it was one of those moments where it was it was definitely a turning point in my life because i put so much stock into this moment that i anticipated life is going to be better when right if i'm able to sell this business then my life is going to change and i made so many sacrifices even though it was a short period of time from 22 to 26 and then when that day hit it was the most underwhelming moment 
because I expected something to change inside of me where all of a sudden like my worries, my problems, my anxiety, you know, my struggles, right? Because we all have struggles sure. internally, even though people can't see it. I felt like that was going to go away. And the next morning I woke up and nothing had changed. Mm. And that was a, an interesting moment in Revelation where, gosh, maybe it's not about chasing something in the future, but focusing a little bit more on like being present and living life every single day to your fullest. Now, it, it took me up until this company and pizza to fully appreciate that and build a real company where I was doing that. But at 26, that was the first time my eyes were open to um, a different way of thinking. You know, um, at that age, 26, just sell that company for, uh, I'm sure, multi-million dollars. What did, did your parents know what you were doing? Were they like, were they aware or were they still kind of like uh, not sure totally what you're doing? Well, it was, it was one of those businesses, you know, back in the early 2000s where you're doing digital media and it was actually sort of full service. I was acquiring customers for businesses that it was a little bit complicated. And so I think they didn't fundamentally understand what the business did, but they were just really excited. Sort of my biggest cheerleaders around the fact that I'm in New York city, I have a business, um, and it's working. Mm. And like, what a great story to tell, you know, friends and family that, this kid is doing something we're super proud. And so I think I really benefited from a tremendous amount of love and not everyone gets that. And oftentimes in sometimes inner cities or even really rural, you know, really rural parts of sure. any country, there can be sort of a jealousy or an animosity. Why aren't you doing what we're doing? You're doing something different. That's not a good thing. But in my experiences, everything I've done has been celebrated by those that, that I'm closest to. And that's, that's a blessing. You know, it, it, it's, I mean... This is uh, something I think of sometimes, but, uh, you know, your father, uh, is your father still around? Mm-hmm. You know, and I'm sure he lived a, a great life as he's still living. But um, how does it uh, feel to your father, you know, that you at, say, half his age, you know, um, have made more money than he's ever made? And not meaning like, like I'm sure he's proud and happy, but, you know... Did you wind up doing something for him to like, you know, or, or has he ever had that conversation that he's proud? Of? And I know it's not only about money, but I'm saying it is crazy when you think of that, right? You know, like, like to have, you know, where you could wake up and say, you know, and buy your father something or do something that he can never do. Um, maybe he don't even want it, but, but you could do it. Yeah. He, you know, he was the kind of guy that was just extremely proud and extremely supportive uh, but also someone that was really comfortable living the life that he lived, right? He was proud to get his paycheck. He worked the same job um, or for the same company for, you know, over 30 years. And that to him was comfort. Sure. That Pension. was security. Uh, that was everything. And so um, from his perspective, I mean, they my parents did finally move to Rochester, New York from the hamlet that I grew up in. And so that was kind of like a big thing because my sister ended up moving there. But my relationship with my father has always been, you know, very positive in the sense that we don't talk probably nearly as often as we should, but there's a tremendous amount of support and love. Um, and I think from his perspective, and while he loves all the business success, I think he just wants me as I grow up and become more of a man every day to be a better person sure, sure. and be happy and be okay and be comfortable in my own skin. Sure. That's really what he wants the most. Pops didn't want a Rolex? 
Pops didn't want a Rolex. He he didn't want no Jimmy uh, new new Gucci loafers. I don't know? I don't think he actually knows what Gucci is. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but uh, you you know you you sell this company for multi million dollars, multi whatever it was. Not something that could probably last a lifetime. Now what do you do? Yeah, so I had to uh, I had to stay on board to run that company for about three years. Side note, not to cut you off. Yeah, when you sell a company. And they keep you on. Is that involved in the money that they bought, or do they give you? I I heard, and correct me if I'm wrong. I don't know. I'm not, I'm asking. Um, when you sell a company and and you stay on, that you get a pretty big salary. Um, is that true, or is included just in the buyout? Right. Yeah, it depends. I think it depends on the structure. Um, you know, some companies will buy your business just because they want the business. And they're not as concerned about you or you running the business. Others are buying much more you and they want to incentivize you to continue to work every single day. I think my business was probably a hybrid where they wanted a little bit of me and sure. and uh, probably a little bit more sure, of the company. Out. Yeah, so it was more sort of a slow phase out over three years to make sure that nothing happens um, the day after someone buys the business. Because the biggest risk in acquisition is you just don't know what you don't know. Like what's going to happen in the first 90 days, right? Is what you bought really what you think you bought? And so keeping you know the, the, the co-founder there, keeping the CEO there creates a consistency uh, that makes you know, a lot of buyers more comfortable than you know, immediately removing that person from the business. Sure. So you stay there. So I stay there. Phase out. And I, and I was ready to go. I mean, in, you know, for those entrepreneurs out there that you know, are considering selling the business, uh, I think it's very important to understand that when you do sell your business, it's no longer your business. Mm. Right? It may not feel that way because from you know, the day that you sell your company to the next day, nothing may change. But on paper, when you sell your business, like it's gone. It's no longer yours. And the reporting structure is going to change. And generally speaking, you'll have to have a professional board that you report into. And the autonomy that you have with respect to decision-making is going to be no more. Uh, and one day, at the end of the day, you become truly an employee right, of the very company that you created. And so as an employee, you can get fired. Um, you can be terminated. You can be reprimanded, a whole bunch of things. So it's a wild experience that I think people don't really understand. So go into it with your eyes wide open and knowing who your partner is and have really tight contracts, right? Never under um, invest in a great attorney mm. because at the end of the day, a bad contract can result in a bad business. Mm. How, how would you say someone is uh, just from a, a referral uh, you think is the best uh, choice to get a lawyer, you know, like people who have used them before and stuff like that, because you never know what you're really getting. Sometimes in, in this world and I'm you know, entrepreneurship, I'm sure you're like, you know, you hire someone to do something and sometimes it's not that exact thing, you know. Um, how has uh, word of mouth been for you in this business? Like who has, uh, oh, we have somebody that could do this or somebody over here has, you know, this or go to this bank. They're very good with this. Is, is that true for you? Yeah, I mean, uh, for me, I think that I'm getting introduced to more and more people every single year as I get older that I think are you know stronger and are better and provide a better support system for me as an entrepreneur. Um, but networking is really important. 
having a mentor is really important. One of the biggest mistakes that I made is I really didn't have a mentor in business until, um, until this company and pizza. Mm. And so I was kind of flying by the seat of my pants and the mentor mentee relationships were always with sort of the co-founders that I had in the three businesses that Mm. I've had. So we'd always talk to each other, but sometimes that talking to each other, you know, you can talk both of yourselves into a bad decision you know, or a good decision, you really need that person who's objective and who has, you know, distance from what it is they're actually doing and tapping to those people. And it's amazing. Mentors are easy to find. And that's where you find the best, you know, attorneys or investment bankers or consultants or those that can be helpful, right? And, And age is really helpful as well. And the beauty of it is, is you can shoot an email to somebody or you could pick up the phone and call someone. If you're asking someone the right way for advice, people generally want to give it. And the sure. older people get, they're more interested in dropping knowledge than they are actually doing the work themselves. So they get more fulfillment talking than they do listening or doing. So, so no. Hey, listen, man, you know, with that, let's take a quick break, man. We got so much to go back into. Uh, your next company, uh, the one and only Ann Pizza, who's, who's how many locations will be at the end of the year? Gosh, we just opened up 28, so we'll have 36 by the end of the year, and then we'll double in size in the next 18 months. And and, and there was a tug-of-war uh, that I love, the story of a tug-of-war from some big uh, people that wanted to invest in you. I love that story. Internet, don't go nowhere, okay? Get ready to get inspired. The one and only Michael Astoria is here. Be right back. Don't go nowhere. Cheer. Hey, this is Eugene Rem co-founder of Catch Restaurants and Rumble Boxing, and you're locked into the Premium Pete Show. Internet, and we're back sitting here with Michael Astoria, co-founder of Ann Pizza, entrepreneur, a uh, bunch of other shit, just an inspiring dude. Listen, um, before we went on break, we spoke about you, just some of your journey, learning, never giving up. At a young age, you were only like 26 at that time, how did you stay fearless? You know, I, it's a good question. Um, part of it may be the fact that I have this sort of theory that I'm not six feet tall. Mm. <laughs> and so a- anyone that's a little bit shorter, I think I'm between 5'9 and 5'10 on a good day, a um, little bit of a chip on the shoulder. So there's always this sort of fearlessness that was inside of me where I had to run a little harder, uh, work a little harder, um, and uh, to get the things that I wanted in life. Sure. Whether that's true or not, maybe a crazy thing, but I think there's something to be said about that. Also, growing up in such a small place, right, you're always a little bit insecure of being able to fit in because you had a very different background and upbringing. So when you're in New York City, even when you you know have a successful business, it's still your life is very different than that of most people. Even mm-hmm. though New York's a transient place, there are people from all over the world. The town was just so small. And that I always had that fighter mentality, not fighter as I'm competing with other people, but fighting just to belong and just to fit in. Mm. You know, uh, your second company, what was that? Yeah, it was a co-founder of a, like an advertising agency, creative services agency. Uh, so one of the first people I met when I moved to New York City was this kid, Doug Jacob. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I had my business and he was very much um, on his own journey, his own path. And uh, we were able to have sort of a mentor-mentee relationship because a lot of the things that I was doing, he was turning to me for, hey, would you mind helping me with this? And we weren't that far apart in age. I was maybe five years older than him. Um, and then in 2010, we had an opportunity to to connect and to link up uh, and, and really go at the advertising agency, creative services business, um, 
you know, pretty aggressively. It was a lot of fun. Mm-mm. How long have you had that company for? Uh, till last year. Really? We, we sold it to a large Japanese beauty brand called Shiseido. But how does that even come about? I know. It's, some of this stuff is, is just luck. Um, some of this stuff is you knock on as many doors as you can and then one opens. Um, the, the sort of advertising agency, creative services business, you're selling your time, mm. right? And so it's, it's generally speaking, if you are going to sell a company, you usually sell it to a larger right, advertising agency or a holding company that just buys agencies because that's the easiest way to grow. But for us, it was do the best work that you can. And that will lead to more work, which will lead to more work and more work. Mm. And we worked uh, with some amazing clients and some amazing brands. And, and one of those clients was Shiseido. And we ended up um, getting into the beauty space. We did a lot in hospitality and sure. uh, spirits uh, in fashion. And, uh, and then beauty became a thing that we got pretty good at. And over time in working with uh, this large company, um, the opportunity came where they were like, look, we're... We're a global business, right? We were founded in the late 1800s in Japan. Uh, actually, Shiseido is known for bringing uh, Japan and Japanese culture to the world. Sure. And, uh, and they said, but we've lost our way. Uh, we became a little bit more of a marketing company than a creative-led company. And we think that acquiring an agency will help us uh, do things different internally and shake things up. And, and so when they made the offer, uh, my business partner, uh, you know, we both said, why not? Like, let's try something different. And to get out of the services business, which I think we both were sort of looking to do, this was sort of right time, right place. And fast forward to February of last year, we sold the business and um, found ourselves in, in, in Tokyo, right, working on transitional work in terms of porting the business over to this $20 billion Japanese beauty brand. Uh, it was a crazy story. Were you happy with the sale? I was happy with the sale because I was happy um, that my business partner was happy, yeah. right? Because I was all in, you know, running and pizza. And I had been doing that, you know, really since, um, 2012. And then in 2014, I became the CEO. So I didn't have much time or energy to devote. My, my role was more supporting him and the decisions that he was making and sort of helping the company where I could. Uh, and so it was really fun to watch someone else's, you know, dreams get realized and know that you played a meaningful role in that. And that's the thing. I, I think business partnerships are really hard. Um, you know, co-founder relationships can be really hard. But I think when you go into it, uh, knowing that if you succeed, great. If you fail, that's cool too, because our friendship and our bond is always going to be stronger. And as long as you're willing to recommit to each other and reconnect on what is actually important, because you know people are going to change. Sure. Right? Success will change people. Time will change people. Money, money will, will change, change people. people. Oh, yes, it does. In a big, big way. But as long as you can reconnect and be honest with each other about what your priorities are. Um, that's a really good thing. And I learned very early on in this business that my job was to support him and the decisions he was making and to try to offer the best possible advice. But at the end of the day, he was the CEO. CEO is going to make the decisions. And ultimately, I was cool with that. And I think that relationship uh, allowed him to listen and to actually take the advice uh, because he knew that I was doing it for the best of uh, the company and, and, and to actually help him realize, you know, what he wanted to get out of the business. So when he said, I'm ready to go, let's do this. It was a high five. I've got your back. And, and we did it. Did you, uh, another company sold, uh, how did you celebrate that one? Did you take a moment or it was just like, you were so busy? No, because you know, the and pizza business has been growing so quickly. Yeah. Um, and it happened literally, you know, while I'm CEO of that company and, and still am. And so there really wasn't 
much celebration at all. It was just head down, um, on with life and, uh, just really proud that, you know, the business found the right home and the right partner. Uh, and we could celebrate that. You know, you once, I heard you say that you wouldn't hire your younger self. What, 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 let me say it the way I say it. What the fuck does that mean? Yeah, I wasn't, I wouldn't be a good employee. You know, I, I was, uh, I definitely always marched the beat of my own drummer and not in a, I'm going to do something really bad, but just in a, I'm not going to conform. And, you know, I don't think, I would say now I would hire myself, Mm -hmm. right? Only now having, you know, the years of experience under my belt and I technically have six, well, yeah, I have, gosh, I I have 16 years of being an entrepreneur and three business under my belt. That, That seems like a lot of time and through that time has come some wisdom and I think I have a much better balance. Mm. Not everything has to happen yesterday. Um, Not everything has to have such a high sense of urgency that you have to ruffle everyone's feathers. Uh, I can listen more than I can speak. Mm -hmm. uh, Which is powerful. It's powerful and I think people then want to follow you but they want to follow you in a very different way. Do you have a lot of patience? I, I have patience when I need it. I can also be very impatient. And I think the things that I have patience with is knowing that everybody has their own journey. Everybody has their own path. And as a leader of a company, your job is to support that journey and support that path, not force them down your path. And if you hire the right people and you develop them the right way and you allow them the autonomy to make mistakes and to learn from those mistakes, you can develop really healthy relationships. What you have to be careful of is, though, when you start to step in and make decisions for other people, uh, or you're overly aggressive when someone does make a mistake. And the only thing I'm impatient with, if someone makes the same mistake over and over and over again and doesn't seem to want to learn from that, sure. then I'll get frustrated. You hire people uh, as a tribe. Yeah. What does that even mean? So to 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 Ann Pizza a Tribe is a group of people that are connected to each other, uh, connected to a leader, but ultimately connected to a purpose. And so at Ann Pizza, right, our purpose is always promoting our symbol, the ampersand, which stands for unity, inclusivity, and connectedness. So um, that's really special. And so when people come to the company, the first thing that they do is I think they feel like they're a part of something bigger, right? And what I mean by that is they can sense that we treat them differently. You know, um, I've been in Am Pizza, and, um, you know, from being such a pizza lover, it's like, you know, from what I know, it's so different. But that doesn't mean it's not, it's, it's, it's not what I know. It's, it was inspiring. Reason being, um, it, uh, it, the colors were black and white. Now, to me, growing up, pizza stores were always an orange or a red, white, and green. Or why is all your stores black and white? Yeah, it's uh, it's a little crazy. Uh, I think the idea behind it was number one, having a point of view as a brand, but trying to design shops not necessarily for our customers, but you know, for our tribe members, our employees. And everything we do as a company is through the lens of how can we make these four walls really speak to the people that show up every single day and dedicate their time, their energy, and their life force to making the business work, right? Because if you remove those people from the equation, you don't have a business. 
And so we design pizza shops that are funky. We work with a lot of street artists and illustrators uh, and local architects and really creating a place where, you know, it's about celebrating our individuality, celebrating the individuality of every single employee. One of the things that, that we do, I think that we do well, and there's plenty of things that we don't, is is really focusing on promoting this notion of oneness and celebrating oneness. And so what we do is we hire people based on personality and style, not necessarily on background or education or skill set or kitchen skills. And the reason for that is it's pretty easy to teach someone how to do or how to work at Aunt Pizza. What it's very hard to do is teach someone this type of style and the personality that's going to make them um, really appreciate the brand and all the brand has to offer them. You know, you talk to everybody like you. You're their friends. You know, uh, has that ever hurt you as being a boss where maybe sometimes you may not get the respect you deserve? You understand what I mean by yeah. that? Yeah, yeah I'm, I'm, I'm very okay with not being respected. That's not that important to me. I think what's important to me is, is creating and fostering a culture where people feel safe, people feel trusted, people feel respected and appreciated in everything that we do. And, and one of the things that I, I talk often about is this notion of how do we, as we continue to build more and more pizza shops, democratize the business, mm. right? Make it so that the, right now we have about 750 employees and we have 30 employees that work in the sort of office, right? The corporate office we call support. And how do I get the decisions from the 750, not from the 30? Because at the end of the day, I want the masses, I want those people working in the pizza shops making decisions. And so we do little things like create a text line. And it's 24-7 hotline where our people are literally texting ideas from music they want to hear right over the speakers in a shop to the clothing or the swag that we think we should make for them to the collaborations that we should do to the type of pizzas that we should make so what is it like uh like a think box uh like a live think box so to speak it's kind of a live think box but it's also just a connect with us chat with us some people are just having a bad day and they just want someone on the other end to talk to it's also a great way to deal with human resources issues because um, one of the things that concerns me the most is that I'm going to lose and the company's going to lose connectivity to what made us special. And so I want to make sure there's not a significant chain of command where you have to go talk to you know, your boss who then talks to the general manager who then talks to sure. the district manager, so on and so forth. And finally, by the time, it's like playing the game of telephone as a kid. When it gets to the other side, what the first person said is so diluted that it's not even correct if it even gets to the other end. This company you have now and pizza, um, I mean, the the way you designed the box, um, I mean, even the style, would you consider the style flatbread or are you just saying straight pizza? It's it's pizza, but it's definitely got sort of a flatbread look to it in terms of the shape of the pizza. I'm going to say flatbed on steroids. I like that. Okay. Um, the, the, okay, we have 20, how many, how many is it again? How many? So we, we just opened up shop number 28. 28 locations. Yep. And you said by the end of the year... 36. And... We'll double in size in the next 18 months. Okay. Okay. You say that like it's easy. And what I mean by that is double the size in the next 18 months. How, how does that happen? That happens by... Um, I think, listen, first and foremost, we are only as good as the leaders that we can produce. So as a company, we made a commitment that by next year, every single leader in the company will have had to be developed from within. 
And that's a really crazy thing. Uh, and what I mean by that is we want to make sure that the people making the decisions at right the sort of general manager, we call them shop leader level, have started off as part-time and hourly. And that's a really important thing because we want to make sure that we're protecting and preserving the culture. It's really hard for someone who hasn't had your job right, mm. to tell you what to do. Sure. Or why are you going to follow that person if they didn't? follow in the same path or the same footsteps that you're ultimately looking to follow in. And that's one of the biggest, I think, mistakes in restaurant retail is that you hire a bunch of people from the outside who maybe were trained up or taught by a different company how to do things. And it takes a long time to unwind that if you ever can unwind that. So I'd rather take people that have no experience in the restaurant business and teach them the and pizza way and develop them so they can lead with their own personality and style right, under the umbrella of this really cool company that lets them be them, lets them lead their own way and allows them to kind of give back and develop people their own way um, so that the leaders are the tribe members mm. and vice versa. It's a beautiful thing. You know, uh, one thing that I really want to talk about is and Pizza has all these locations, uh, people loving it. It's like uh, there's lines out the door like Chipotle, um, and also, I feel like, and I don't want to use Chipotle as the um, the blueprint, but I feel like a lot of businesses have the the move, pick, you know, move, pick, move, mm-hmm. pick, and then you're out the door mm-hmm. as you wait on the line. But more importantly, you get a chance to have two big investors, um, and then you you know you can mention their names um, when, when when you discuss it. But and then have to pick which one to go with. Which, I mean, this is like fairy tale shit, to be honest with you, because it's like, who would expect a kid from such a small town would be in this situation? You know, how did that even happen? And if you could explain to, uh, you know, the internet's, uh, you know, how these people approached you. Yeah, so uh, one of the, you know, sort of dirty little secrets about restaurant retail is they're really capital intensive. I think a lot of people go into the restaurant business with, okay, I'm going to build a restaurant. It's going to cost half a million dollars. And, you know, the sort of joke is that it's always going to take twice as long and you're going to spend twice as much. Mm. And many restaurants open with not the right amount of capital because they blew through their budgets. Uh, And it's a very hard thing. So when you think about this notion of restaurant retail and you're building these boxes, Right, and the way that you get scale, especially for a brand that and pizza that had this big vision of how we're going to change the world and 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 reshape and have people rethink what it means to be a good employer and how you treat people and what you pay people. We can get into the minimum wage thing in a while because that's a very important topic for me. Um, but I learned pretty quickly, you know, sort of two years in, this was going to take a lot of cash, and knowing that it was going to take a lot of cash, I had to learn how to how to raise money, and so I think since 2014, we've raised just about $60 million in growth equity. Um, That's come from sort of three large groups. But when we first got to New York City, uh, I had an opportunity to be introduced to a gentleman by the name of Matt Higgins uh, and a gentleman by the name of Steve Ross. And uh, you may have heard of either of them, but, you know, Steve owns the Miami Dolphins. He owns Equinox, who owns SoulCycle, and, and he owns sort of half of New York City. Um, and I met him through an amazing chef, David Chang, uh, uh, who's a good friend. And these guys were excited about the business. What is Higgins? Where did he um, 
get his, what's his, uh, he kind of has, yeah, a wild journey from being, you know, Rudy Giuliani's first press secretary, mm. um, you know, to then being, uh, you know, one of the executives at the New York Jets. Um, and now he's an executive at the uh, Miami Dolphins and he runs Steve Ross's family office. So he's responsible for an amazing portfolio of investments from Gary Vee, mm. right? Mm. Who I know, you know, who was on Absolutely. the show, um, to, you know, David Chang and Christina Tozzi, um, and just a whole bunch of amazing entrepreneurs that he's uh, he's invested with with Steve. So they, so what? So they were both knew each other because I thought you, didn't you have to make a decision? Who yeah, 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 with? yeah, yeah. So that was that was on the one side of things. The other side of things, um, I got approached by yes, and uh, they have a really good thing going. And, and of course, when you're in the food business, right, and you're approached by you're feeling like wow, this is an amazing thing. And I ironically, we were able to get sort of two term sheets to invest that showed up 48 hours apart from each other. And I'm stuck here right in New York City. And the cool thing when we came to New York, which was about a year ago, I got a chance to reconnect and work in that pizza shop for the first 90 days. So even though we had, you know, 20 some odd pizza shops, I was like, I'm going all in on New York. I'm going to work in that shop. I rolled up my sleeves, um, actually did so with with Calvin over here. who's nice. Who's, shouts uh, to Calvin. Yes, big shouts to Calvin. Big shouts to Aaron Brown as well. Thank you for coming. Nice. Um, and and just get get down and dirty, mm. and uh, and that led to some amazing things in the city. We're going to have massive growth here in New York City, and and who thinks to bring you know an odd shaped pizza concept right sure. to New York, the hardest pizza market in the world, uh, in a brand that sort of looks nothing like what people are used to, but it worked, sure. and it worked to the point of having these you know, pretty amazing individuals wanting to invest and then having to figure out, am I going right or am I going left? And it's sort of the entrepreneur's dream because regardless of which direction you go, the validation, right? Because we're all sort of seeking validation in one way or another, felt really good that, gosh, we can do something with this company and this can be really special. And the fact that these amazing icons and entrepreneurs want to invest in this business it felt really good so so two things uh before i even get into this and pizza is in new york Mm -hmm. dc Mm -hmm. philadelphia baltimore baltimore Mm -hmm. northern virginia northern virginia we're opening up in boston Mm -hmm. first location harvard square in september and then we're, we're, we're opening up in miami first locations in the hard rock stadium and then we'll have a really cool street light, street side locations in January, February. Okay, now back to uh, these two big investors. Yeah. Steve Ross on one side, and the other side is the gentleman. Yeah. Why couldn't you have them both? Well, that you know that was sort of for for me in a brand that's all about inclusivity. That that makes a lot of sense, but there's also a limit to the amount of money that makes sense to raise. And, and these guys that are, are investors, they like to put a significant amount of money to work. And so if the check size is too small, it's like, eh, it may not be worth it. So we didn't need that much money. And they both needed to have sort of a minimum check size. And so at that point, it made sense to just kind of go one way or the other. Um, How long did it take you to make that decision? It was, it was tough. I mean, it took, it, it took the course of a weekend. And, you know, one of the big decision-making factors was Steve Ross was a family office and it was a fund. And, you know, part of the, the vision of Ann Pizza, um, you know, from a growth standpoint is I have no idea how big this business is going to get and how long we're all going to want to do this. But if it continues down the path, we could be doing this for decades to come. Sure, sure. And so I wanted to make sure that 
from an investment perspective, if someone was okay holding on to the investment for the next 20 years, right? Because the money was less institutional, was more just a high net worth individual who kind of do whatever they wanted. That to me was definitely a little bit more attractive. You know, so you're going through the weekend of deciding who you should go with for this big investment for Ann Pizza. Did you call anyone? Like, you, you know, I mean, even I'm saying, even if you called your dad or your uncle or somebody, are are you, not to second guess yourself, but just to hear your heart or your mind or your stomach and hear someone reiterate what they, that they agree with you? And I mean, did you do that or or you just figured it out on your own? No, I definitely talked to um, as many people as I could that I felt were uh, close enough to the business and close enough to me to understand what the right decision was for the company. But listen, in a situation like this, there's not a wrong decision. Sure, sure. And we had also raised, you know, significant capital from two, you know, other very well-respected groups and individuals. Um, so this notion of is it going to make or break the company wasn't necessarily the situation, but who do we feel like is going to be most strategic or the most helpful um, and who do we want to technically get into bed with? That's kind of what it boiled down to. And again, we ended up going with, you know, Steve Ross and Matt Higgins um, because of the relationship that I was able to develop, but also because this notion of they were really cool with, Hey, Michael, we believe in you and we believe in this broader purpose right? This notion of this symbol that's going to change the world and we want to be a part of it. We want to help you build the best damn company on the planet earth. And let you do your own thing. And let, let me do my own thing. And, and of course like that as well. And that's no disrespect. It's just, I felt a closer connectivity to that group of people in terms of being able to help me get there and execute against that vision. And so that's the direction we went. Did you uh, go out to Miami for meetings with uh, Russ? Yeah, it's funny. You, you take a regular plane or they sent the private one for you? Yeah, so so our first meeting was on his plane going to Miami. And the best part about that, he's a busy guy. And we literally sat, uh, me in one seat and, 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 and Steve in the other seat, and we had two and a half hours of just undivided attention where cell phone wasn't working. And so we're just looking at each other. And it was the most amazing two and a half hours because we got into childhood and life and love and relationships. And it was just this moment where I'm sitting here talking to this amazing entrepreneur, right, an American icon, and we are just going back and forth. And we developed a really cool bond uh, that uh, started a great relationship. Yeah. I, I, hey, listen, I'm sure he's giving you free Miami tickets because nobody's going to those games out there. <laughs> <laughs> Let's go Giants now. What are you playing? Um, you know, when you didn't go with the other guy, um, is everything cool? I mean, like, is, is that professionally handled? Like, look, or did you have to get back to him to let him know that you're Yeah, not listen, everything is the, the, the business world, the business community is small and yeah. relationships matter and they matter deeply. And, you know, I've I've worked really hard at making sure that the relationships that I make, um, you know, in business and in life, uh, even, you know, whether it's the employee-employer relationship where it just doesn't work out because they may not be feeling the vibe of the company or what the company needs they may not be able to give or, you know, choosing between different investor groups. Uh, the notion is you do it respectfully, you do it with humility, and you always keep the door open because you never know, sure, you never know if in two years from now, they may be right the yeah. right investor to go back to and say, hey, look, 
these three things. You're perfect for this. Um, maybe we can do this. And I, and I do that often too with, you know, tribe members. And when things don't work, I'm always looking at going through my Rolodex and saying, okay, I know the things that you're really good at. How can I find a home for you maybe over here sure. to be better suited to where you are at in life? Um, and I think that's important in all aspects, which is take care of those that are around you, take care of those that believe or bet in you at some point. And it's amazing how it, it comes around. Even if it doesn't, it just feels better. You know, so you close that deal with Steve Ross, right? Yeah. And um, did you celebrate? That was, again, you know, I the keep funny, on, I keep on I asking know, you the funny thing. thing. Is, you know why I ask you? Why? The only reason I ask you for is because sometimes so many people, we want to wait until we get to where mm-hmm. we want to be. But you may never, ever get there. 100%. And, and the, the little moments, I'm not saying they're little because... These are some big things mm-hmm. that you went through. And again, I want you to sit here and understand you're a kid that came from a, a small little town that, uh, you know, you could have just worked in one job for 40 years, got your pension, sat in your recliner chair and checked the fucking, you know, TV or whatever. You, you understand? Mm-hmm. And I'm saying it's not wrong with people who are doing that. It's not many people have done what you have been able to do and continue to do coming from an environment so small and you know, it's it's something special. So, you know, those moments do mean something. And, and, you know, and I'm sure, and again, it's so busy. And that's a great thing that it's so busy. But you know what? Fuck all that. Minimum wage. Yeah. Talk to me about that. Yeah. So, you know, when I, uh, when I first opened up Ann Pizza, I had an opportunity to work in uh, the pizza shop for the first nine months. And I was, I was mainly at the cashier station that's where people felt like I was best because I got to talk to every single person that had come through the restaurant or the pizza shop. And um, I didn't go into this business with this notion that I'm going to go try to solve right, the wage problem in this country. I went into it with this idea that this company is going to do a lot of good. We're going to focus on some key social issues. I'm not entirely sure what they are. Uh, inclusivity and unity were a couple big words that I felt like had a lot of potential. Um, and the minimum wage thing hit me when I realized pretty quickly how far a dollar, you know, would stretch or wouldn't stretch. And when I'm developing these relationships with the employees of the company, the tribe members that, you know, are now becoming friends and we're working hard and we're maybe having a beer afterwards, I'm starting to key in on, we have a problem here, Sure. right? Paying somebody nine, 10, 11, $12 just isn't enough. And when you look at different jurisdictions, you know, what the minimum wage requirements are um, outside of like major markets like New York and now D.C. or San Francisco, it can be pretty rough. So taking it upon myself, first and foremost, to understand the issues and then go figure out how I could build a business model where we could pay as close to a living wage as humanly possible and build sort of economic case study that would hold weight and then start talking to other people in the restaurant business and then start talking to other policymakers about how they can use what we're doing at Ann Pizza as an example to change their mentality about how you turn wage and increasing wage into a good thing versus a negative thing. Because the general, you know, the general consensus is wages go up, profit goes down, it's going to slow growth. This is a bad thing. But when you approach it differently. Um, and you apply a different mindset to it, you can do the opposite thing, which is you can reduce turnover. You can develop better relationships and trust with those people that come to work with you every day. Mm -hmm. You can develop leaders because they're willing to take 
those two jobs they have, right, and the 40 hours they're working and give you all of those 40 hours that even allow for you to develop somebody. And all of a sudden, you have this amazing culture where people are going the extra mile because they believe in you, they believe in your brand, and people can feel that. When you walk into a pizza shop and the people in there are happy, they're not happy because they're giving you some, like, you know, hokey-dokey, you know, thank you for coming and we're happy to serve sure, you. Sure. But they're talking honestly about, I love this company. I love this pizza. Sure. You know, I love what I do. People people feel that. Do you believe in perks? I go to perks 100%. for the company. If someone works in that pizza, what's some perks they get? Uh, I mean, there, there's a lot. First, we, we, we pay better, but to me, that's just table stakes. Okay. There's a lot of... So you're allowed to go as a company, you're allowed to go over the minimum Absolutely, yeah, yeah, absolutely. And so you've done that since day one? Mm-hmm. Okay. We have, we have, and it's different in every jurisdiction, but we pay the absolute maximum that we can. Um, and again, we've also been fighting the campaign trail. I introduced the last Raise the Wage Act on Capitol Hill with Senator Sanders, Senator Pelosi, and Senator Schumer. So I've been very active politically on this. I've been on CNN, a number of talk shows, talking about this because I want to be the case study that changes the perception of wage that changes the perception of what the responsibility is of a business to its people. Wage is one of those things. Benefits is another. Right? Oftentimes, companies get caught up in this notion of boardroom benefits. Like, it feels really good because we offer health insurance, and that health insurance does these things. And then when you really flip the page, you're like, but that costs $400 a month. And who's going to spend $400 a month on health insurance if they make $800 a month? It just doesn't add up. So figuring out how we can get smarter, we can offer a health insurance program with all the benefits at $60 a month. Mm -hmm. So to me, benefits are all about the adoption rate. What do people care about first and foremost? And then making sure that the maximum number of people as a percentage, if you have a thousand employees, is it really a benefit if under 500 of them are using it? Mm -hmm. Probably not. In most companies... That's what it looks like, especially in retail and restaurants where you're dealing with, you know, lower wage and a lot of part-time. Mm. You know, uh, when it's all said and done, um, what, do you, what do you want to be remembered by, man? You know, what do you want your legacy to be? I think for now and where I'm at, you know, I want the legacy to be about the amount of change um, that we can be a part of, right? Changing the way that people treat employment, changing the employer-employee relationship, showing how democratizing the business and allowing those people that are on the ground floor to make the decisions and how powerful that can be in terms of where real innovation comes from. And, you know, I want, I want Harvard to write a case study mm. so that other businesses follow. It's not just about, it's not just enough for me, for Ann Pizza to be um, doing the right thing. I need to get other businesses and I'll be an open book. If you want to come look at our numbers, if you want to come talk to me, I'm happy to show anybody and everybody what it is that we're doing so we can impact change globally mm. and all businesses can follow our lead. And we're going to trip up by the way. We're not perfect, but rest assured, we're going to get back up again and fight harder and harder and harder so we can be that business and we can be that case study um, that just, that, that changes the game uh, for a long time. You're doing God's work, my man. You're doing God's work. I'm going to tell you four, but, you know, if it has to be two, whatever, but if you give me the four core principles that you would say you build the company on, what would you have to say? 
So we have we actually have uh, four core values. Really? Yeah, as a company. Who would have known? And, and all of those values are tied to the path. They're all tied to development. So the first one we talked about earlier, which is celebrate oneness. Mm-hmm. This notion of you doing you. Right? Come to us as you are, and we're going to respect that. Right? And I think in restaurant retail, you also don't see a lot of that. People put rules. Right? Even some big companies who I won't get into, right? You couldn't have tattoos. They couldn't be visible. That makes no sense. Mm-hmm. I love tattoos. Because I like the way they look on me. I like the way they make me feel. Right? Why can't other people feel the same way when they're on the job? And how much better an experience you're going to have when you're talking to somebody who's happy because they can be themselves and they can express that to you. And someone you can relate to. That's right. Mm-hmm. That's right. That's uh, another core. Make your mark. Mm. That's the second one, which is hustle with impact. All right, now that you're celebrating that oneness, now that you're feeling really good, you're confident in your own skin, now it's time to make an impact. Uh, and that's the next step. And you can do that in a number of ways. It's not just about leadership, but you can do that by, you know, being a good coworker, right? Showing up and being there for those other people that are around you, looking left and looking right. Mm-hmm. Um, or just, you know, spreading your message. Number three. Number three is uh, all about... Number three is all about uh, changing the game, mm-hmm. right? Which is uh, all about sort of innovation and how can you use things like the text line how can you use things like the one-to-one interactions that you can have with this character that we call the pizza plug right where you can dial in and tell us like what's that next big thing going to be sure um, how are we going to get there how are we going to do this together people calling in and say play and they want to hear a little more a little uh little pump over there at m pizza what's number four unite the house okay yeah unite the house and that's all about real um leadership Right. That's all about real leadership. So as you're going through the path, right, we've celebrated your oneness. You've made your mark. Right. You've helped change the game through giving us different ideas. Then it's all about uniting the house. It's about what are you doing to bring people together when you're becoming that tribe leader, when you're becoming that cultural leader of getting everybody to rally around your leadership style, rally around the company, rally around the symbol. And that starts to become a little bit of sort of profitizing. Mm. Um, And that's a really cool thing. You know, and pizza makes its own drinks. Mm-hmm. Was that always the goal? No, the goal was it was hard for me to get behind Coke or Pepsi. Why? I think when I like to do a lot of research on companies and uh, the things that I read and the things that I heard, big business is tough, right? There's a, such a thing as big pizza, which we can talk about, but um, I wasn't behind, you know, what they were doing socially. Um, some of their values, some of the stories I heard. And so I felt like if I'm not going to support Coke, I'm not going to support Pepsi, what are we going to do here? And there was some really cool craft soda companies. But he said, one day, why don't we try to make our own? You know, most people would think you're crazy saying you don't want to, you know, because Coke or Pepsi kind of runs the whole game. I've personally been to Ann Pizza, and the drinks is what really I enjoyed. Uh, what are some of the flavors that uh, you have? Yeah, so we have, uh, we, right now we have a gingerberry lemonade, we have a mango and passion fruit, mm-hmm. we have a pig and fair, uh, uh, I'm sorry, uh, a fig and, and, and pear elixir. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have a really cool drink with uh, Milk Bar, who's a partner of ours, um, a cereal milk cream soda, mm-hmm. which is delicious. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're coming out with uh, an amazing orange sickle, mm-hmm. a watermelon well, orange ginger. Sickle. You had me orange sickle, you're going to make me die, orange sickle. I, I I used to be big on the Sunkist. Um, oh, you will love this then. Yeah, yeah. yeah now I like the this. drinks. I had I think I had that gingerberry lemonade. Let mm-hmm. me tell you something. Um, something something real special about that shit. 
you know, I really enjoyed uh, just the, the vibe in there, you know, even the employees. Um, you know, it's cool. You know, you know, that's why I was excited for you to come tell the story because, um, you know, I really do believe you're doing God's work. And, you know, being an entrepreneur, may, many people, uh, I think, may associate that to being successful. But what really is success? People may associate that to being, you know, glittery or, you know, uh, watches, jewelry, cars, uh but more importantly, it's the groundwork that takes it. You know, you, people, some people understand it, some people don't. But, you know, the more you do, you know, the more you have to do. You know, the the more, I'm sure the more money you made, it's not like you're still working as hard, you know. Um, if there's an entrepreneur listening or somebody who wants to start their own company or somebody that wants to just get the fuck out of their regular job, um, what's some advice that you have for them? Yeah, I think it's it's uh, it's a tricky one, right? Because while I spend a lot of time encouraging people to be entrepreneurs, I also spend time discouraging mm. because I want to make sure that the reason that you're doing it is the right reason so that when you get into entrepreneurship and you go down that path and you realize pretty quickly, as we talked about earlier, that it's not what you thought it was, that you're prepared for mentally to deal with that. And so to me... Uh, it's all about making sure that you're not chasing necessarily the dollar per se, but you're chasing the idea behind the dollar or the purpose behind the idea behind the dollar. Mm. And I can learn that pretty quickly in talking to someone, which is like, look, uh, I'm not sure this is going to work. You're not sure this is going to work. I believe in you because, quite frankly, you wouldn't be here right, if there wasn't something going on. Uh, but be really, really, really thoughtful uh, if it doesn't work or you have to change that you're doing it for all the right reasons. Sure. And it's also about putting one foot in front of the other. That's the easiest thing to get started, which is wake up and just change your behavior and go about it a little bit differently. Go talk to somebody, go ask someone for their help, go track someone down that's doing it in their industry. Like I mentioned before, people are willing to give you any and all information sure. you're willing to ask. Sure. And doors can open extremely quickly. You know, you said before, uh, this is a quote by you, uh, profit is a byproduct of doing the right thing. Always. Uh, what, what does that even mean? Well, first off, that's, I mean, that's my belief, right? Okay. Clearly, that's not necessarily the way the world works. That's not necessarily course, the way the world always works. But what I mean by that is I, I think that the most profitable or most sustainable Right, economically and viably for decades to come generally start off uh, by doing the right thing. If you look about Starbucks, it's a great example, one in our industry where Howard Schultz and Starbucks, they were paying a higher wage decades ago before it was actually talked about. Mm. They were providing benefits and giving employees equity in the business, always doubling down on the right thing. And the fact of the matter remains, they're relevant. Sure. And think about that. You know, 30, 40 years, people are still drinking more coffee from Starbucks than any other coffee shop on the planet Earth. And for the next few decades, that's going to remain the same. Mm. That's a powerful message about always going in and out burger, doing the same thing, mm. right? Sticking to their core values of we're not going to open up shops, right, that are that far or, 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 or our stores that are that far from where we actually make the beef. And mm. they were paying a wage, some of the, and if you go to In-N-Out Burger, people are so happy to work there. And it's like, what's the difference between that and McDonald's? Mm. Right? They stuck to their guns and they did the right thing and they drive a heck of a profit. I mean, who wouldn't want to own a piece of In-N-Out Burger? Sure. Look at their balance sheet. 
Sure. Uh, besides, uh, you know, what you have and pizza and, and the companies you sold, do, do, do you uh, do any other investing like Bitcoin or, or real estate or is there anything that you think is is, is good for someone to learn to, to yeah, invest for me, their money in? No, it's, it's a great question. Um, I definitely do investing. And for me, I invest in what I know or what I'm comfortable in. I will never chase. I never got into Bitcoin. Mm-hmm. And I never got into Bitcoin because I didn't understand it. And if I don't understand something, then I might as well be just throwing money into the wind, right? And I also don't chase other people's ideas. And the one thing I tell people is that, look, someone could be into Bitcoin, right? Your friend could be an investor in it, and they maybe have hedged right their investments over 10 companies that are doing Bitcoin. And all of a sudden, you get in having no idea, and you follow them into one investment. Well, that one investment fails, but your friend did well because maybe the other nine worked for him sure. or for her. And so yeah. you got to really understand that you're investing in things that you know and things that you can understand or people that you can trust. Otherwise, you're just probably going to end up losing money unless you're lucky. And I subscribe to that. If you want to see the things I'm invested in, come over to my apartment. Mm-hmm. And you literally can see, well, okay, there's that on the wall and you listen to that. And you know that that's my investment thesis. Or I'm investing in myself. Mm-hmm. You know, um, and pizza on Instagram, A N D P I Z Z A, and uh, Twitter, and pizza too. Um, do you do the social thing too? I do. Um, uh, I'm, I'm starting it? to do more. It's uh, I'm Instagram. I don't really do Twitter, but okay. it's uh, at underscore Lastoria. L A S T O R I A. Let me tell you some internet. Find the and pizza near you. I've I, I really enjoyed. Uh, first of all, the drinks I told you are, are, are super official. Uh, I really enjoyed the one that you have with the Mike's Hot Honey. The the, the the American Honey Pie. Yeah. I mean, that was official. And I loved the dessert one you had, uh, too. Uh, what was that? The, the ra- raspberry strudel. We also had the Lori Lane. You fucking making me hungry. Stop looking at this shit. And there was another one, the the mushroom, right? Was it the truffle? The Moonstruck. What? Yeah, with mushroom truffle. Oh, my God. Listen, internets, listen, okay? Find the Ann Pizza, Okay. And then tell a friend to tell a friend. Uh, last question I have for you before we wrap this up. Uh, it's definitely been an amazing journey and crazy thing is it's just beginning. Um, you know, you've uh, done a lot of collabs, uh, you know, and even like you did a, a, a collab uh, with, didn't you do a collab with Momo? Uh, yeah, with Milk Bar. Mo, Mo, okay. Milk right. Bar, yeah. How, how does, how, you know, I, I think we spoke, but, but how does that, like, how does that come about to do, what do they call the game, uh, Milk Bar, but it's called Momo... Uh, Momofuku. Momofuku. Yeah. That's big. How does that happen? I think a lot of, a lot of the best collabs start with friendship. Yeah. Right? Because at the end of the day, if you are cool with working someone, working with somebody because you get along with that person, because collaborations, brand collaborations, you never know. Right. Like some catch on like wildfire. Other ones don't necessarily work as well. So my sort of rule is if I know somebody, I get to know them. We jive. We see the world somewhat similarly. Let's try to do something cool. And if it works, great. But if it doesn't work, it doesn't really matter because we at least got to spend time with each other while we were working on this collaboration. Um, And that's really going to be the future. We have a lot of uh, really cool collaborations. We have to get that premium Pete collaboration going. Sure, Let's do it. What kind of pizza would that be? Uh, man, uh, we would do, um, let's do, uh, I would say, well, first of all, I'm gonna do, uh, we're going to do a fresh mutz. Mm-hmm. Um, we're going to do, um, man, that's, yeah, you put me on the spot. First of all, we're going to do a fresh mutz. Um, let's do spinach. 
Um, do Mike's Hot Honey. Mm-hmm. And we're going to end it off with... Um, I'm going to have to say maybe uh, some Brajut if we can do that. Okay. I don't know. I like I that. Know. I don't know. I well, like I'll think that. of it more than that, but that's one I would like to uh, see. We could also do the soda. Or the all-white pizza would be uh, probably just uh, multiple different mozzarella cheeses. Mm-hmm. Uh, ricotta, mm-hmm. uh, mozzarella, and maybe like uh, we do like a Gouda. Love that. Uh, like a, like a, We call it something like, you know. A three peat or something like that. Really. Oh, the three peat. I don't know. I don't know. It could be something special. Maybe a little garlic in there. <laughs> I would love. It's good for the skin. Always. Let me tell you something. Uh, you're a leader in 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 the lane you're in, man. You're doing big things, but not only for yourself, for other people. Um, you know, I'm proud to uh, have met you. Proud for the internet to hear your story. I'm proud for them to learn something from it. Um, and I wish you nothing but the best of success. Thank you, Pete. Thank you for helping spread our gospel. I'm always honored by people that um, take their time and use their network to help, you know, promote me. Still feel like the little kid that grew up in the country. This is a big deal. Thank you all for listening. Sure. Internet, see you next episode. And head to Ann Pizza. Stop playing around. Cheer. Internets, if you enjoyed that episode, I want you to email me at thepremiumpeatshow at gmail.com. Again, that email is thepremiumpeatshow at gmail.com. Let me know what you thought. And listen, all my advertisers out there, all my big businesses, my small businesses, whoever, a friend, a store, you want to advertise on the Premium Pete Show? Email me at thepremiumpeatshow at gmail.com and let's get working, okay? Make sure you subscribe, rate, leave a comment on all streaming platforms of the podcast. Tell a friend to tell a friend and we'll see you next episode. Cheers.